We are starting a brand new series today. Let me introduce myself. My name is Matt. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. And uh, we just finished up and wrapped up a six-week sermon or six-week uh, series on elephants. And so no more elephants. I had someone text me this week. They're like, what's the next elephant? And I said, there's no more. We covered all of the elephants in the church. All the elephants in the room went through uh, six subjects that we felt like the church doesn't talk a whole lot about and that, that our heart, our could be hard to talk about. So if you want to check those out, they're on hamiltonhills.org and we'd love for you to do that. But today we start a new series called Blueprints. Blueprints and uh, a healthy church equals a healthy life. Did you know that according to, uh, I'm going to pull out my Northeast accent for this one, Harvard, Harvard University, that going to church actually scientifically lowers your blood pressure. Did you know that? How many of you need your, your blood pressure lowered? Oh, you don't have to raise your hand. Uh, Vanderbilt University did a study and uh, they found that going to church lengthens your life expectancy. Lengthens your life expectancy. Uh, uh, American Medical Association found that it lowers depression. Um, I went to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I used to tell people that when I was a kid, I had a, a drug problem because I was drugged to church uh, three times a week. And I, you would think with going three times a week, my grades would be better, but it actually, according to Muller and Ellison, raises your educational grades. How many of you need some more church? Any students in here? Uh, it produces healthier marriages by the National Health and Social Life Survey. And then uh, the National Sleep Foundation, uh, which is apparently a real thing, uh, it's found that it gives you better sleep. People sleep better by regularly attending church. Isn't that crazy? None of those are Christian organizations. They all just did um, private studies and found that going to church significantly lets you lead a better life leads a better life. I know that some of you uh, really believe in that last one because I, four or five usually a week sleep through my messages. And so um, I appreciate that. Uh, apparently church is working for you. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the series that we're going to go through, um, Blueprints, we're all going to be walking through actually a book in the Bible, three chapter book, and it is in the book of Titus. And so if you have a hard copy of God's word, or if you use a device, you can pull that out right now. We'll be in Titus chapter one, but we'll also have words on the screen and verses on the screen. We'll kind of jump all around a little bit because today we're going to kind of give an overview of the book of Titus. Titus was a letter that was actually written by a man named Paul, who was a missionary and an apostle of Jesus. Um, about 60 to 70 years after Jesus's death. And he wrote this book, you guessed it, to a man named Titus, a man named Titus. And uh, as he opens up the letter, we're gonna read that in just a moment. He kind of explains a little bit where the letter's going, but uh, it'll be, Titus, will be a blueprint to a healthy church. Because we believe this, that if our church is healthy, if Hamilton Hills is healthy or the, a, a church that you go to is healthy, then that will produce a more healthy person. 
And by the way, we can define health in so many different ways. I just gave some fun statistics of how it, it you know, will make you uh, physically healthy. And I do believe that, but I believe that as a byproduct and a result of living a spiritually healthy life. And a, which then in turn leads to mental health. It also leads to emotional health. So I'm just going to dive right into the very first part. This is the greeting of the letter. I don't know if you've ever had someone get up and preach a message on the greeting of a letter, but it starts off this way. It says, this is a letter from Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So essentially he starts off the letter right away by saying, this is who I am. I no longer find my identity in my name or who I am or, or, or what gifts I have or what I can do, but instead I have given all of my passions, all of my desires, all of my identity, who I am to God. And I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I feel called, Paul is saying, to spread the gospel or spread the good news that Jesus brings to the people God chooses me to spread this word to. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth then gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God who does not lie promised them before the world began. And now just the right time, I'm sorry, and now at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to, say that with me, everyone. This message is for everybody, for everyone. It is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I'm writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. We don't know a whole lot about Titus, but we see his name mentioned a couple other times in Scripture, in Timothy and then also in one other uh, of Paul's letters. And we see that Titus was more than likely reached by Paul on one of their, either his missionary journeys and he was very close to Paul along with Timothy and one other. And he starts off this greeting by essentially letting us know, if you look at also uh, verse number five, um, I don't think we have it on the screen, but he then tells Titus that I'm going to put you on the island of Crete the island of Crete, and you are going to be a person that sets up structure and the church on this island. And if you'll put the uh, island of Crete up there, it's right on the very bottom of, in the Mediterranean Sea there, Crete. It is about 160 miles wide. It still exists today. It's kind of funny. Uh, I said it in the first service and people were like, oh yeah, yeah, I get it exists. So the island of Crete is still there. <laughs> so we're like, I don't get it. Uh, isn't that, wasn't a great joke. Um, that's an old map, but it's still, it's still, that island still exists. It's 160 miles wide. So you can imagine this is a time before, you know, uh, planes, a, a time before automobiles. Titus is now over an island that is 160 miles wide that Christianity is now starting to spread like wildfire. And I did some research on Crete and how Christianity kind of got there and how it started. And this is really cool, really interesting. Acts chapter number two is, the, is Pentecost when 3,000 people were added to the church. 
And I remember as a kid hearing that in sermons and uh, the day at Pentecost and 3,000 souls were added to the church. And I was like, man, how did they find a building that big right away to put 3,000 people into? Of course, that's not how church worked back then. And it wasn't a church building. And in fact, actually the people that were there at Pentecost went from Jerusalem at Pentecost this day and spread across the known world. And some of the people that were there that accepted Christ and were there did, were, were Cretan Jews, Jews that were living on the island of Crete. So now they go from where they were back to the island of Crete. And now you have this beautiful mess of the church where Jesus's story is being told all along this Grecian island. And so Paul knew that it was important that as people are there, that there be some structure to this new thing called Christianity spreading across the island of Crete. So in the next couple of weeks, as we go through this series, we're going to be looking at some of that structure and why it's important to the church. So some uh, really cool things like the, the impact of false teaching and why we should be aware of false teachers and, and people putting lies within truth amongst the church and church leadership guidelines and like elders and deacons and church organization, and then the importance of godly living and living on mission. So all of these like structural things, and I don't know about you, I know some of you in here, you may like structure, you may like things that make sense in putting things in order. I kind of enjoy chaos, right? I enjoy chaos. I enjoy like living on the edge a little bit, but structure is actually, I hate to admit it, important, Right? So last year, around fall time, I had gone to this garden that I planted. It was about 10 square feet. And I actually had this in a message uh, that I gave a little bit of an illustration. I had worked all summer long, well, most some of spring, and then like all summer watering and planting these seeds. And I put, I think I had like snap peas and some, some green beans and some carrots. And my dogs ate everything out of this little raised garden bed. My dogs ate vegetables and plants out of my dog bed. They're crazy. Anybody want two dogs, by the way? And uh, the only thing that survived were these carrots. And I was so excited about these carrots and you could see like the top of the carrots starting to grow bigger and bigger. And I was like, man, I'm just gonna leave them in there because there's nothing else growing. And this is gonna be exciting. At least we'll be able to have some carrots. And then go ahead and put the picture up. This is the biggest carrot that, we, that I pulled out of the garden. <laughs> Big, massive top with like <laughs> nothing. I did, by the way, eat that carrot. <laughs> that was the fruit of all spring and summer and even part of the fall. So this year I decided I am going to do a whole lot better. So I went on Amazon, everyone's friend, and I ordered four like raised, raised garden beds. They sit about this high and they're made of cedar. And I was like, okay, this is going to be the answer. And so I ordered these uh, boxes. And when they came in, I thought, let's be creative here. Let's be a good dad. I have a 12-year-old daughter. Her name is Jocelyn. I'm like, this is going to be a teaching moment. We are going to construct these cedar raised garden beds, and they are just gonna be incredible. We're gonna have a much, much better year. So we get the box, and the box was filled with you know, pieces like this and some long pieces. And um, then uh, also what came with it was a bag of hardware, so the screws and dowels, and you know, they, they always give you the cheap little tool 
that, you know, puts it all together. Well, I'm a man. So I have other tools in my garage that are electric that put it together a lot faster. Some of you are nodding your head and up and down and I like you, you're a man too, or an awesome woman. Um, the other thing that it comes with is something that I don't normally like, but it's an instruction manual. And each box came with the instruction manual. And I know where you think I'm going to go with this, that I just threw out the, you know, instruction manual and I just, you know, manhandled this, you know, cedar raised garden box. Well, I actually was like, this is a good teaching moment for my daughter. And I'm going to show her the instruction manual is important, right? And so we got the instruction manual, we opened it up and we threw it away. No, we uh, opened it up and on or in the instruction manual, it was, was pretty clear. It was like kind of like an Ikea one where there wasn't a whole lot of words, just a bunch of pictures. And in the instruction manual, it didn't say that it was important to line up the screws. Now, this one is a different one because I had to order this on Amazon, but there's three holes here. Just ignore this hole. That, pretend that one wasn't there because then the one that I had didn't have a hole right there. And then there was three holes that, on this end. And it didn't say that it mattered which end had the little divot here. And so as I was putting this together, I realized that one of the screws wouldn't go in one of the holes. And, and I kept on trying. And I used my man muscles and my man tools. And I tried to drive that screw and it would not go in. And so my daughter learned five Christian curse words that day. <laughs> and it turned into a whole lot of frustration. It turned into a whole lot more time than I thought. And I'm one of those like, you know, hopefully optimistic people like this will take me 30 minutes. And about two hours later, I did not have the first box made. And all that was missing was one simple step in the blueprint, in the instruction manual. If they had had that one step in there, my life would have been a whole lot better. Now, some of you are like, Pastor Matt, you probably just missed the instruction that was there. doesn't matter. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> the point is this that when you receive clear instructions and you follow clear instructions, putting the structure together of how we are to live as a church and how we are to live godly lives as people makes it a whole lot easier. Here's the problem. Life is messy and we're human beings. And so sometimes we either miss the instruction or we didn't see it in there, right? Or we're looking to the wrong thing for instruction. And some of us, our instruction manual isn't the word of God. Our instruction manual could be our feelings. It could be a friend that's just giving us advice. It could be any number of things. What's important is that in the book of Titus, Paul outlines very clear instructions on how the church is supposed to be laid out. And so over the next three weeks after this, we'll look at some of those structures. But what's important, I felt like, to start off the series was to show why do we have instructions and why is it important? Is it just so we can have a healthy life? Is it just so we can be, you know, like those cool people in the bumper video, that, you know, sword fighting with spatulas and just having a good time and getting better sleep and, and, and being able to have our depression lowered and being able to live a healthy life? And we could say this, that a healthy church equals a healthy life. But I would also say this, that a healthy life equals a healthy church. 
the healthier you are, those that attend in the building of Hamilton Hills, the more spiritually healthy you are, which then in turn makes you emotionally healthy and more physically healthy, the more healthy we are, the more healthy our church is. And the more healthy our structure is, the more of a chance it gives us to live a healthier life. In Titus chapter two in verse number seven and eight, Paul writes this to Titus. He says, let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth. Why? So that you can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Why is it important for those that oppose the church to have nothing bad to say about the church? You ever turned on the news and there's another scandal or another person in church leadership that has fallen? What does that do to those that follow Jesus? Those that are trying to spread the good news that Jesus brings, it makes the message harder to bring because if they're able to criticize the way that we are who say we have the answer, if we're not living godly lives, it weakens the message of the good news. The good news is awesome. The gospel is great. Jesus is incredible and we speak Jesus and we praise Jesus. But if we're not living a life that speaks Jesus, the words that come out of our mouth don't mean very much if we're not speaking Jesus and acting the way Jesus would act. Titus chapter two, verse nine, he then continues and he says, they must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. They will make the teaching about God, our savior, what? Attractive in every way. We just finished our series on elephants and I think I admitted to you last week that I was a little scared to do that series because we were going to be bringing some hard truth and tackling some hard subjects. And what's incredible is the feet. I had someone on our worship team, they texted me and they said, pastor, I don't know what emails you're getting, but boy, you're doing a great job. And so I'll just tell you what, I'm in your corner. You get one of those emails, just send it my way. And I was like, I wish I had an email to send them. We didn't, I didn't have any. Some of you just, you texted me instead, all of your negative. No, I'm just kidding. I think what people in this world are desperately desiring is truth. They want something that's real. They want something that's authentic. We're tired of being lied to. We're tired of everything, even if there's a lot of truth with it, there's always seems to be some fine print later on that we find out about. So I think that all of us in here today are wanting authenticity and wanting truth. And I believe that the world that doesn't know Jesus is also desiring authenticity and desiring truth. They're desiring for something to be real. We even have the most fakest things on TV and we call it reality TV. And we go, reality? I want reality. Let me turn on the show that's completely rigged <laughs> and completely not real. We want real. And so Paul is writing Titus and he says, I'll tell you what people want. 
what's attractive to them is realness. People that say they love God and actually act that out. People that say they proclaim truth and do it in love and actually give truth in love. What will win this world to Jesus is not picketing. It's not taking our opinions and making them bold and making them big, but what's attractive is showing a life that truly lines up with what Jesus said. Titus chapter one, we go back to chapter one and verse 16. Paul writes this about some people that such people claim they know God, but what do they do? They deny him by the way that they what? They live. Not by what they say, but by what they do. Now, here's what's awesome about those of us that have been a hypocrite before. Any hypocrites in here where you know truth? Yeah. <laughs> Someone in the back just raised their hand right away. Yeah, my hand's with you, bro. Yeah. Unfortunately, because I'm a human being and sometimes because I get the stage and I proclaim truth, man, I know that if you're close enough to me, if you're what we call in my oikos, if you're in my front row of my life, you're going to find out that there are cracks, there are uh, uh, wrinkles, not too many, but I'm not perfect. I know that's a shocker for probably 90, most of you. Because life is messy, we sometimes do not show God by the way that we live. But in the blueprint of Titus, very clear. I, I, I like the cool books, like Psalms. It's poetic, you know, it's emotional. I like books like Proverbs and they have like a way of saying truth, but saying in this like really cool way of lots of uh, pictures. And I, I wish the Bible was honestly just pictures. It'd be a whole lot easier for me. Titus is gonna be just straight up blueprint, instruction manual, do this, don't do that. But if we're all honest in here this morning, some of us, we just need that, don't we? We just need someone to just tell us the way it is, what we should be doing and what we should not be doing. But there's a reason why. It's not so we can get to heaven and high five each other and go, man, how, how would you do? Oh, I got nine out of 10. Oh, I got eight out of 10. Oh, I lived a 66% good Christian life. None of us are gonna be in heaven high-fiving each other of how godly we were. There's a reason why here on earth we are to live godly lives and it's not so that we can be better than other people. It is to show the people that God has put in your life on purpose that Jesus does change people for real. If you'll throw up the slide of oikos, we did a series actually a couple months ago on this Greek word. It's a Greek word, it's not a yogurt. I mean, it is a yogurt, but this is not what this word means here. We have a, a mission called oikos, and we believe everybody, according to the word of God, has an oikos. And this oikos comes from a Greek word that means household. But in the Greek, and especially Roman culture, your household was not just your immediate family. Like, I have a household, right? It's me, my wife, Denise, and my daughter, Jocelyn. And, and, and I don't live in Roman times, so like, 
don't show up in my house and just come in. Right? Don't just, just, just come in my backyard. Like, that ain't cool. Right? I know like back maybe in the 40s and 50s, people could just knock unannounced and come in and, you know, they'd bring a cake. Like, don't do that. I want to be, when I'm in my house, leave me alone. Okay? You can text me and maybe I'll answer. But back in Roman Greek times, your household meant actually the people that lived in and around you and that were co-workers with you, your neighbors, uh, your friends, extended family. Uh, even in that time, your, your slaves and servants would live with you. And so you were responsible for all these people and you all worked together. And so it was those people that saw you at your best and saw you at your worst. You know who those people are. Yes, that is your family and sometimes extended family, but sometimes it is the people you work with, right? Man, they see you when you come in on a bad day. They see you when you're at your best. And we believe here at Hamilton Hills that God has given everybody an eight to 15 front row to their life called their oikos, their household. And we believe that God has equipped you with the gifts he's given you, the personality he's given you, even the experiences, good and bad, that you have to reach the people that God has called you to reach. And here's what I love about that mission. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a deacon. You don't have to work for a church. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be anything. You just have to be willing to be used by God to reach the people that he's designed you to reach. You can change your world, your eight to 15, and in doing so, it changes the world. And if you say, Pastor Matt, do you have proof of that? Yes, the disciples. All 11 disciples that ended up following Jesus and serving him were perceived as uneducated men who then told the people that were around them what Jesus had done for them. That was it. They didn't go to Bible college. They didn't have a theological degree. They just knew Jesus had changed them and they needed to tell somebody about it. And now we fast forward 2,000 years and the kingdom of God is being expanded. Why? Because of people who reached other people. Titus chapter one, let's go back to the very beginning of the opening, the greeting And let's now look at it through that lens. I've been sent to proclaim faith, Paul says, to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. The truth that gives them the confidence that they have eternal life. Healthy the church, the healthier the people. So Titus was to preach the word of God. He was to go set up this church structure across the 160 miles of the island of Crete for these two reasons. Four, so that lives would be changed and so the kingdom would expand. Here's where I think, I won't speak for any other churches, but for Hamilton Hills, 
because we live in America and because we're blessed and because we have buildings and we have air conditioning units and vision campaigns where we can change out carpet and do really cool, incredible things and have the right structure. We have elders here. We have deacons. We have uh, staff. We have uh, an HR department. We have all of this structure all set up. And sometimes I feel like what ends up happening is the mission becomes the structure. And we put things together and we have the shiniest, best church in Fishers and hopefully we can attract other people from other churches so they can come to our church and realize our church is actually the church that has the much better message and the much better building and the much better AC and the much better, that's why we're gonna have a work day with Mulch is because we're hoping to get people from across the street at Christ the Savior Lutheran, they don't have good mulch over there. There's a reason why the structure is important. When I put all four garden beds together, got them all built. First one was tough, but man, once I got figured out the first one, I got all three of them built inside my living room. Know where I'm going. Jocelyn and I sat on the couch and we admired our work. How beautiful were these cedar raised garden beds. In fact, our whole living room smelled like cedar. In fact, if you want to come up afterwards, I'll let you smell this instruction manual. It smells like cedar. It's incredible. And then we realized that the garden beds don't belong in the living room. (laughs) They belong outside. And then when we got them outside, we admired the cedar raised garden beds outside. And then guess what had to happen? We had to put liner in it. And then things got messy. We went and got soil and even manure. Hands got dirty. Porch got dirty. Then... We planted seeds. Then we cheated and bought some other plants that had already been grown, but we're going to say we grew them from seeds and planted them. If you show that last picture, the point of the, yeah, awesome. The point of those cedar beds is not the cedar. It's not the box. If you're admiring the box, thank you. I put it together. I felt really good about myself after we got it all put together and there's actual plants growing in it, but not even the plants are what is important. The point of having a raised cedar bed is for the fruit. I did all that work last year and I got one carrot this big. Can I tell you, if I forget to water, if I forget to pull, believe it or not, there's weeds that grow in there. I don't know how they get in there, but there's been weeds. If I forget to pull the weeds, if I forget to water, if I forget to feed, then what ends up happening is all that work just ends up being the exact same. If I don't have a picture of it, but if I were to show you the bed that I made last year, looked terrible. But the point isn't how terrible the structure looks or how beautiful the structure looks. The point is the fruit. 
Now, the more healthy, the more raised the cedar bed, the more out of danger from animals and my two dogs from getting in the cedar bed, the more fruit will remain, the more fruit will be there. The more that we can learn about the structure of the church and why elders are important and why we need to be careful of false teaching is all important, but we need to, for the next three weeks, view this through the lens of if we're not reaching the people in our oikos, then what are we doing? If your neighbor and coworker aren't hearing about Jesus, let's fold this up and go home, folks. Titus is a fun book. We can make our church look really structurally beautiful. We can all live godly lives and never tell a soul about the Jesus that changed it. And then what's the point? I think that's what's happening. I think what's happening is you're seeing this movement of young people. And I love watching some of the older generation get frustrated because they're getting behind all these causes. And they wanna see the world change because they're tired of seeing the ivory palaces that have nothing happening in them. They wanna see life change. And so they're just looking for a cause. And unfortunately, just a cause ain't gonna change people. You'll end up in the same boat as anything else. I believe the only tool that God created to change the world is the church. And so having a healthy church is important because it it is the tool that God uses to change the world. And so it is important that we are healthy, but if we're not healthy and our church isn't healthy, we won't produce fruit. But if we're healthy and our church is structurally healthy, but we're not producing fruit, we might as well fold it up. So we're gonna learn a bunch of cool things. We're gonna learn we need the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit. We can build a church with lots of people coming to it without the Holy Spirit. It's been done. It's been done by a lot of people. There's been churches much bigger than this that have no Spirit of God in them and they're healthy, they got good finances, they're meeting budget and over budget, and you walk in, it can be exciting, but that's not the point of church. Who are we reaching? Who in your oikos needs to hear the story of how Jesus completely flipped your life upside down? I'm looking at some of you in here and I know your story. You may think, that it's a boring story. You may think it's an exciting story. You may think I can't tell that story. Can I tell you that there's not a whole lot of flowery speeches from people that talk about Jesus that reach other people with Jesus in the Bible. It's mostly like, hey, Jesus changed my life. You want some? Because it's not us that does the changing. It's the spirit of God that does the changing. You don't have to be super extroverted and not scared of getting up on a stage and preaching out of the word of God. You just have to be a willing servant that's ready to tell someone what Jesus did for you. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm gonna pray for us as we dismiss.
And I want us in here this morning, and I'm actually gonna do this with heads bowed. Now I'm gonna actually have you raise your hand and say, I commit the best I can over the next couple of weeks to read through the book of Titus and to commit to, if I can't be here on Sunday, that I will watch the service online later. Because I believe this will be revolutionizing, revolutionary, and will change our church if we'll take it to heart. I mean, you say, I, I commit to do that. Three chapters in Titus, yeah. That's awesome. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for your son. And God, I thank you personally for this reminder in your word that I need to be attentive to godly living. I need to be attentive to the way the church should be and the blueprint is important and the instruction manual is important and we should follow it. But God, we are to follow your blueprint so that we can see the kingdom of God spread. Would anyone in here this morning that feels that they are not built the right way or their experiences have harmed them to such a degree that they could never tell anybody about Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd rebuke the enemy and rebuke that lie in their life and that they'd start viewing the people in their front row, their oikos, as people that you've designed them to reach and tell about their story. In Jesus' name, amen.